0: How do you balance editor feedback with your own vision? Today, I'm with memoirist Lori Tharps here on The Writing Process. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the sixth episode of The Writing Process, the weekly podcast conversation with writing masters. I'm your host, Chris Wink, and here's who you're going to hear from today.
1: My name is Lori Tharps, and I am a writer, a journalist, and an associate professor of journalism at Temple University. I also am the blogger behind MyAmericanMeltingPot.com.
0: Lori went to Smith College, and her first job out of undergraduate was with an alt-weekly newspaper in New England, where she somehow became the business editor, even though she told me she could barely process math but she got plenty of harsh feedback, particularly going from intern to full-time, where the relationships with her staff changed. The structure of journalism gave her her first introduction to professional red pen editing. Over the next 20 years, from jobs at Entertainment Weekly to her own books, she has worked with as many editors as anyone I know. This month, she published Proud. That's an autobiography she co-wrote with Ibtihaj Mohammed, who is the first woman in hijab to compete for the United States in the Olympics. She also was the first female Muslim American to medal at the Olympic Games. That's a big, high-profile book, and that's where Lori's career arc has taken her. She's something of a master about the personal story. I first found her when my wife gave me a copy of Lori's memoir, Kinky Gispacho. It was published in 2009 and it chronicled her life studying and falling in love in Spanish. When you write so personally, surely it's complicated to navigate the relationship with the editor. That's the professional first reader who is integral to the success of a great story, but so often lives only in brief author's notes. In past episodes of The Writing Process, we've mentioned the idea of editor, but I wanted to get far deeper in that concept. So that's what I wanted to better understand when I sat down with Lori Tharps last month in my office in Old City, Philadelphia. From that conversation, I'll start here, where Lori talks about how different the product she delivers is, depending on whether it's an editor for a book of memoir she's writing, or a piece of journalism.
1: So when I write for a publication, like if I'm writing for a magazine, um, I am literally writing based on the assignment, knowing that I'm going to hand it in and someone's gonna look at it and tell me what they want me to do to fix it. And that I have accepted the fact that this is not like the perfect way. I am writing for this editor, (laughs) for their tastes and their requirements. So it frees me up from thinking, I've gotta make this really good. That's very different than when I'm writing a book because the book is me. The book is my work and it is me. Even though I have an editor, that editor really is, you know, like background magazine. It's the style of the magazine. It's the voice of the magazine. It's the the assignment of the magazine. I'm just like a writer for hire for a magazine. So the shift in my mind when I'm writing is, again, it frees me up from thinking that this has to be perfect. I'm just trying to literally nail the requirements of the assignment. Did I get a good lead? Did I get the quotes in? Did I tell the arc of the story the way the assignment letter said or that I promised it would? Um, and and then when I hand it in, I'm not like, this is perfect. I'm like, I have completed the assignment. And that's very freeing.
0: Mm. In terms of a process, it seems like you've done a lot on that latter category you described. The it's my story, and an editor is just meant to, or someone else's story that I'm helping to mm-hmm. channel. Mm-hmm. Um, an editor is just meant to make sure we're, you know, accurate, clear, concise. Mm-hmm. Um, h- how has that changed through the years as you've gotten stronger and more comfortable in writing my story with an editor that's helped to make it clear? Not. Change the voice. Is that just about a degree of comfort you have?
1: Yeah, I think it's really confidence. Um, I'm, I know I'm a more confident writer in that, um, if it's if it's my work, if it's my book, um, even if it's you know a book that I'm working with somebody else, I'm very confident that I know how to tell a story. And you know, when we're talking, if it's a book, if it's a book that my name is going to be on, I will push back on any editor's comments because. In that sense, I really do feel like it's my work and the editor's um, the editor's suggestions are just that, they're suggestions. Um, I really can say no. I wouldn't have done that on my first book. I would have been like, oh, okay, which I did. It was like, oh, they want us to change this, well, let's change it. Um, and maybe even the second book a little bit too. But by the third book, um, you know, Books three and book four, even this, um, my most recent book, which was a book that I wrote with an Olympic athlete, I pushed back with the editor to say, you know, I think this is a better way. I mean, of course I listened to the edits. Like, Of course, I very much listened to the editor. But if there was something I felt very strongly about, I am confident enough now, I trust my own storytelling instincts to say, I think it should be this way.
0: If you are talking to, or when you do talk to someone who's on book one or book two, Mm -hmm. is your advice, take it from me, you should push back sooner in your career? Or, no, it's a very natural progression in a writer's career to, earlier on in the career, listen a bit more to editor, and then make sure they feel more confident. Was your pathway what it ought to be, or would you give advice to do something different?
1: No, I think you should definitely. um, I think it's something that it comes with, literally, with practice. you should assume your editor knows what they're doing and you should assume that the editor has their, your best interest at heart and you should um, you know, take those suggestions very seriously um, and assume there will be another opportunity. I don't mean, let me say, assume there will be another opportunity. That being said, if there is something that is very crucial to what you believe is the, the heart of the story, or there's a turn of phrase that you just think this this works, or this is important to me, and you know, again, it's my name on the cover of the book. Then I think you should push for it. But overall, you know, if the editor is giving you suggestions, like you know, um, I remember when I wrote my first novel, my only novel, so it's my first and my last. <laughs> although I, I hope there's some, there's, there's another one I'm, that's percolating that I'm, you know, slowly working on. But I remember my editor wanted me to change the ending. Um, she thought that the um, she thought that it was too perfect, like you know that the two people shouldn't have been able to get together at the end. and um, I took her suggestion I mean I took her comments very seriously, I reread it. I actually changed the ending to kind of uh, i didn't do exactly what she said, but I tried to push it more in the direction she wanted me to go in because she made sense like I understood what she was saying. But it didn't feel true to the story. I knew the story I was trying to tell, and by then I was very close with my characters, and I was like, "This ending is what's supposed to happen." So even though that was my first novel, and I was very like, you know, unsure if you know any of this made any sense, um, <laughs> I I could not. And I took so I mean I was like, "Oh, she said this." I mean I took granular notes of what she wanted me to do. But that bit, that little bit where she was like, the ending, um, I couldn't do it. I tried. I literally tried. I wrote a different ending, and it just it didn't feel right. And so I think, yeah, and I think writers, you know, especially if you're doing fiction, you created these characters. This is your world. This is your story. So I think if it's about story, if it's about the story, then, you know, Nobody can really tell you what's the right way or the wrong way. It's your story. It's your invention. You're you're the god of this world. Um, but if it's about the the writing or it's about the structure, then I think you know the editor really should be listened to because that's what they're supposed to do is make sure that the that the story experience you know is is done in the best way possible.
0: I that sounds really important. I I want a little bit more because I like that a lot. This concept of how do you choose. In hindsight, it would always be easier to say, oh, that was a moment when the editor was right. That was a moment when you should push back. But in right. the moment, I would feel like advice to anyone is very challenging. How do you know when am I being precious with something that I just think is neat right. but right. is not doing anything for the reader or the characters um, versus when I should stand on my ground and I am ultimately right? You hit on a really big point there, but I just want, I would love to hear you speak more about or if you even have a memory, maybe when you got it wrong, or like, you know, I push and I shouldn't have or... Um, I gave in. I shouldn't have. Um, That might be really telling and helpful for someone, how you know in the moment. Uh, But maybe even you you hit on it, structure versus character. That might be.
1: Yeah, I don't think that, um, I don't think you know in the moment necessarily. Although, again, I think the idea that story is your story. It's your story and nobody can tell you a better way to tell a better way to conceive of the story, right? They're your characters, it's your storyline. Like if that's the story, that's the story. I mean, there's a million stories and there's million variations of the same story, but this is yours and you're the one that's the expert in the story because it came out of your head. That'd be like, you know, it's like it's your baby and when somebody (laughs) tries to tell you how to, you know, do your baby's diapers or change, you're like, it's my baby and I know what's right for my baby. Um, Now on the other hand, if someone says like, hey, there's this great school that maybe your baby would do better at this school than that school, you can say like, okay, I can try that school. Um, The same thing, so if it's the, the structure, if it's maybe a word choice, if it's you know maybe this great story should be condensed a little bit more because it goes on so long. It is a great story, but people, you're losing people because you you know you're taking too long to get to the the main point or the climax. Or um, this character is wonderful, but you know we can't tell if he's gay or straight. So you've got to do more to you know put, draw out his his you know his sexual interests, whatever it is. Um, that you need to listen to because essentially your reader should be, I mean, your editor should be acting as your reader, your first reader, right? And they should be telling you, um, I love the story, but I need to, to happen faster or slower or draw this out or draw that out. That's, that's what your editor should be doing for you. Um, and you may not know in the moment if, that, if their comments, if their suggestions are right? So that's, I mean, that's why this process is kind of long because you may have to go and you may tinker with it. There's no way to say like, that's, a good, that's good advice, that's bad advice. You kind of need to take it home and sit with it. Let it marinate, play with it a little bit. Don't necessarily dive into your manuscript and make these changes automatically. Maybe off to the side, like play with the scene using this editor's suggestions and read it. Does that sound good? Does that feel like authentic to the story I'm trying to tell? And if it does, you know, go with it. Um, But I don't think there's a single, like, test for is this good advice or this is not good advice. But I think when you're struggling, like, do I need to take this advice? Is this really what I have to do? You know, you can kind of ask yourself, is she changing the story or is this just a better way to tell the same story?
0: Mm, That's helpful. I like that a lot. Um, Maybe a good transition then for what writing is to you now. I, I like asking the question... In the way of uh, what does it mean if you were to say someone I'm working or I'm writing can't come to that because I'm writing what does that what does that verb mean in your very granular and literal sense What are you doing Where are you doing it If you were to be in your mind's eye that I'm writing right now what does that actually mean to you?
1: Um, I mean, it, for me, writing is. To me, like I'm, I've literally conquered every kind of genre of writing that I've set out to, except for poetry. Like I just, I mean, I still write. I write poems like on the beach. You know, they're bad. You know, when I'm just so loosey goosey, whatever. But I write. You know, I'm. I'm really uh, working on reviving my blog right now. So I'm literally writing a blog post every other day: Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm writing on my American melting pot. You know, um, commentary. Um, sometimes it's very news focused sometimes it's you know why I really like this um you know uh hair product um but I'm like writing all the time and um I'm also like writing a magazine story, so I'm working on a pitch for a story and I'm um just you know getting like my facts straight, you know throwing around like a lead for a story that's just in my head and and I'm working on a novel right so Writing for me is like constant like I am always writing and I am one of those people who has a to-do list So my to-do list will be like write a blog post (laughs) and then it'll be like rewrite the outline for the novel you know chapters 1 and chapters 2 and um, (laughs) You were supposed to have written that pitch letter so get that pitch written as well so I can go in between all these different types of writing and I kind of feel good about that because, I mean, I am of a certain age, I've been doing this for a long time, Um, and it feels good to be able to say that I can go between, but that's what I do. I mean, it literally is my life. Um, You know, whatever I'm doing, like again, it's the new project is the blog. So it's, I've been blogging for a long time, but didn't take it seriously. So the new thing I'm doing is blog writing, right? but i'm still writing a novel and i'm still working on some magazine stories so that's what i'm doing
0: so let's take one of those and and i want you to like paint the picture for me so outline for the novel if 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 that was your you know one of your to-dos for monday mm-hmm. where would you do it like go so literal for me what is the process time of day are you structured are you setting calendar appointments or just being when it suits you talking about the very literal
1: okay so um Okay, so I am working on this novel. There are um, four drafts of it already, and I haven't gotten it right because the main character, I realized this, I teach creative writing, and I had this epiphany as I was teaching my students. Um, if your main character doesn't have a clear desire, then there's no like narrative like arc in the story it's just plot points with no connecting tissue so I realized that's what's wrong is that he didn't have my main character didn't have a goal we didn't know what he was working towards and so I have to rewrite the story so I'm I work with outlines um a lesson I learned the hard way <laughs> and um
0: so what will an outline mean for you bullet point or are you
1: getting so that? so um If I have an outline for fiction, I mean obviously everybody knows how an outline works for nonfiction. For me it's the same thing for fiction. Um, I need an outline so that I can see my story, like I need to see it before I can really write it. Um, And so what my outline looks like is, um, so I have a notebook, like I I really like paper and pencil. And So I will write my um, outline in my notebook and the outline will be like um, all right, so King, that's the main character's name, King um, was born around this time in Mount Airy. His dad's a bus driver. His mom was a school teacher um, and, and I'll just like bullet points of the, the, the main points of the story and like, I'll, um, so, so it's like in a notebook. And so I can, you know, keep flipping the pages and keep writing, you know, what happens, like what happens. And then he goes to, he gets beaten up, like in college, which sets off a course of events that change his life. And then, and and then he comes back, he becomes a minister, and then this happens, and then this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens. And, you know, I've got like six pages in the notebook. So if I can get through that kind of timeline that's basically what it is is a timeline of the events of the story then i can go back and put like smaller bullets under each thing like what has to happen in that pair so he's born in mount air like whatever you know maybe mom and dad are very poor or you know key things key details so i fill in those details and then i look at it and i'm like okay that won't work or that might work um i may add a couple of other things And um, because I'm this like because I'm five ish what did I yeah because I'm like five versions in Mm -hmm. I can do that pretty easily because I now know what the literal timeline of the story is then I put it on computer and I I don't use any software which I know you can't I I don't use any software I just use like word right Um, and I then just write the timeline, I mean the outline over again, but I may add more description.
0: Are you structured in when you do it? Are you calendar entries or are you just, you know?
1: So like, because it's like I have, um, I definitely have, I'm very like goal oriented, although I don't necessarily keep the goals particularly, but I literally have, you know, May 1st through May 14th, get the outline done. Um, May 15th through May 30th, you know, learn everything you can about um uh tax deductions for churches right (laughs) um
0: probably a plot point yes yes
1: it's key it's a key detail um and I really do try to because I don't want it to feel like work like I don't want my fiction to feel like work um but I also know that if I don't structure it it never get done so you know I give myself two weeks to like learn about you know church finances and um you know Liberation theology, and you know whatever other like I literally like make a list of things that I need to know more about, um, and then um, I will, you know, like June first through June thirtieth, I am supposed to have that outline done. I don't have it done. <laughs> um, today's June thirtieth, um, and then writing, start writing July thirty, July first through August. Thirty first, Like I wanted to have another draft done by the 31st, so that meant every day I have like two hours allocated to writing, and if I have that outline done, that means I can get up at like 6 in the morning, and and I haven't started that 6 a.m. because I got a dog, which is really dumb. So I get up at 6 and I walk my dog. I can't have a dog and write a novel. I just realized that. So I have to figure this out. But ideally, I would take like the first two hours of the day before I do anything else. And because I have that outline, I literally can just, you know, just chapter do one, do it. It's already clear what has to happen. And I write in my office, in my my home office, um type, type, type. type and then I can, um, you know get back to it like every day, same amount of time. Um, and I either do, like if I know that I want to finish this by August 31st, I will either like do a word, like 2,000 words a day or two hours a day, but I, gen- I tend to do better with words a day because then you know if you're actually getting there.
0: Love that. Um, so I wonder if we could use an example of, I wonder if we could use an example of some of your writing uh, to talk about what an editing process might be, so I hear you might uh, have something prepared per request to see if you can maybe read a little a little something, then we could use that as just a little bit of fodder. I know we're a little short on time, but then use it as an example of what was the editing process like. So right. what, what might you be willing to share with us?
1: Well, the most recent book that I have completed was... Um, a really exciting project. It's the first time I'd ever worked with a celebrity. It's Olympic medalist Ibtihaj Mohammed. She was the uh, first uh, woman or any person uh, to wear hijab and to um, compete at the Olympics for the United States. And um, she wanted to write a memoir, and I was hired to help her do that. And um, like I said, it was the first time I'd ever done something like this before. Um, what's interesting, although I'm not a fencer, nor have I ever pretended to be <laughs> one, um, our kind of backstories are very similar in that she was black, she was um, you know, very high achieving, went to like really great colleges, was often the only black person in a white space. She was also uh hijab wearing Muslim, so um she had a lot of that like the only and right. often being um ostracized for being of color or being Muslim, and I had similar upbringing in that I, you know, grew up in a very white space, and so um, telling her story felt very familiar in some ways, although, again, the the fencing, the Muslim aspect was all very new to me as well. Um, From a writing perspective, the process was very, it felt very much like any other journalism assignment where I'm interviewing my subject and then have to put the work down on paper based on what the subject told me, um, except that I had to use, you know, like the, the first person voice as opposed to my voice. And I didn't think that was going to be hard, except I had to pull out my interpretation of the story, because that's what a journalist does, right? The journalist, even though they're telling the facts, they're still, your job as a journalist is to interpret this information to share with the reading public as a you know co-author with this person, that's not my job. My job is to simply tell the story from their perspective and keep me out of it. That was the challenge. So this little bit that I'm reading is literally just this tiny piece, but it really kind of exemplifies what um, I meant and why this was a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. So the story, the book, uh, this is just part of the introduction of um, uh backstory her parents backstory and where they were born and raised. So my parents were both born and raised in Newark, New Jersey in 1967 when my parents were teens the Newark riots broke out and the city burned with rage Newark's black residents were protesting the racism and relentless police brutality endemic to the city The riots ran unabated for four days straight and when it was when it was all over 26 people were dead more than 700 injured and more than a thousand people had been arrested so that's how it reads in the book. Pretty straightforward, um, you know, recollection of what happened in um, Newark at that time.
0: Informational, straightforward, yeah. this is context that I want the reader to know to understand my story.
1: Exactly, so when I first wrote that section, it started like this. For four days in 1967, Newark, Newark New Jersey, burned with black rage. And I was like, off, I yeah. went off, I was like, you know, just so dramatic and like using lots of imagery and I thought I had just written the best recreation of the Newark riots ever Mm. Um, but that's not what (laughs) Ibtihaj Muhammad would have said that's what Lori Tharps would have said and so the editing process first it was and this was very different it was very simple from Ibtihaj it was like I wouldn't say that.
0: <laughs> so there was a version that you, you sent to her, and she's okay. like, "What? hold, pull, pull back. Yeah, pull amazing.
1: back. Exactly. That's funny. But she didn't say, write it this way, because she's not a writer. But she knows that that's not what she would say. Right. And then on top of that, I have an editor from the publishing house who also thought I should pull back a little bit. Not necessarily because it wasn't entertaining or what have you, but because it didn't match the tone of the rest of the book. So, in this situation, the main direction, the main editorial direction, was pull back, lighten up, tone it down, and just get the information out there. And as a writer, I was like, "But <laughs> so dramatic, and <laughs> so passionate, and you really get people like engaged. Right. Like, isn't that what we're trying to do?" Um, and again, that's the Lori Tharps way, like, that's, that's me, drama is my middle name. Um, so, so it was, um, it was again, you know, so cliche, but you know, killing your darlings. I had to kill all of my dramatic darlings and just get the point across.
0: So, we started this conversation with you really helpfully describing the editor experience or process with an editor, and, and this, as you're pointing out, is so emblematic of that. Um, I wonder if you can make a connection because you write in different forms. Um, it almost feels like when, when you write uh, a novel, you're supposed to be your own check would my character speak like this? Mm-hmm. When you're writing a memoir project or working with someone and helping them craft their own story, kind of interestingly, you are writing in a character's voice, mm-hmm. but the character's a real person who can tell you, right. no, this isn't what I would say. Exactly. Do, do you make any connection between when you've written a novel and, and you've had to say, would this character say this, versus memoir projects like this, where there's a person who's telling you, no, I wouldn't say this. Is there a connection anywhere there about... You know, would yeah. If she didn't exist, would you at some point in your own process have said, "Wait, my character wouldn't have said this like that."
1: Well, it's funny because you know the you you know writers have like hum Well, I'm a writer. I have a big ego, so I don't know <laughs> if all writers are like that. But you know, we tend to like our words. You know, once they're down on the page, you're, you're like, "Yeah, it's just good stuff." Um, and I found myself in the process of like this particular project, you know, saying like you know, you should say it this way because it's better or it's, it's more dramatic or people will be more connected. Um, but in retrospect, now that the whole thing is done, I can see how the idea, it's not about making pretty words or making it super dramatic or, you know, making it more poetic or engaging. It's about being truthful. It's about being truthful and authentic to this human person who exists. And that idea, it actually is true for fiction as well. You know, you have to be truthful to your character. So um, as I was writing, it was hard for me to remember that lesson, that like it's not about, cre- I mean, I'm not writing a novel. I'm writing somebody's story through with their own words, their own story, and that's what you're trying to do. And the editor, my editor, who was great, she had to remind me of that, because she could tell that I was attached to certain things, and she'd have to say, that's not her it's not her that is not her and so like let it go and i um again you know you're you're away from the project for a few months now and you can say like oh good good cuz cuz i don't i i my my job is to make sure that ifti Hajj mohammed's words and story is is it's hers and that people come away knowing who she is not who i think she is um and and again that can be um you know, as a journalist, the same thing. If I was writing about someone as well, you know, you do have to, you know, interpret some things. But you don't want to put too much of yourself in telling real people's stories.
0: Hmm. That's perfect. Uh, any last thing that I should have asked you or, you know, piece of advice that you always like to add to these conversations about people who are interested in the, the tactics of writing and writing well?
1: I think like the one thing I always say I I teach writing I teach at Temple um, I've taught countless workshops and the thing that I just always reiterate over and over and over again is that everybody can write you know it's not a magic gift there are some people who write like so beautifully like they have such a talent for like poetry you know whether they're writing you know you know a a grocery list it still sounds beautiful Um, and there are people who are just so talented at storytelling like they're just great at crafting you know intricate fascinating stories but I feel like um, I don't want anybody who yearns to write to think that they don't have what it takes because all it takes is uh, putting your butt in a chair and your fingers on a keyboard or a pencil in your hand and and you're writing it Writing well is like playing an instrument. It just takes practice, and it will feel difficult and uncomfortable just like holding a violin the first time you, you get You will literally cut your fingers on a violin the first time because it hurts and your arms will be stiff and your shoulders will hurt and your neck will be all you know um, feeling like you have a crick in your neck The first time you hold the violin, the second time, the first month you will feel uncomfortable. And writing is the same thing. It will give you anxiety, your fingers will ache, you know, it just won't feel right. But if you keep working at it, if you just keep sitting down and writing every day, or you know, you're once a week, but the same time every time every time, you can write. Anybody can write. And it may not be as beautiful as it seems in your head, or it may not be as beautiful as the Nobel Prize winning whoever, but you can do it. You just have to keep practicing.
0: I love that. You're, you're reminding me, and maybe a core theme of, of our conversation that might even be how I set up our conversation is the difference between writing and editing. And one of my experiences with people who feel intimidated by the act are trying to combine them at the same time. Mm-hmm. They are self-critical because they are yeah. writing and editing themselves at the right time as opposed to, I think, folks like you that you kind of, I mean, certainly over a career built it, but probably almost innately grasp and you alluded to it earlier, there's a difference between I am writing now and now I'm editing. And those mm-hmm, are two perspectives. Mm-hmm. So maybe just a moment about that being a, a, a way to, to think about that?
1: The other thing, the key thing really is to understand that there are editors everywhere and that we shouldn't think that we have to write some perfectly. of them are better than others. Yes. <laughs> like your mom is not an editor. But
0: well, she maybe happens, she is right? right, unless she is. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. But um <laughs> Um, but
0: your son would disagree that yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah both of my sons that's not how we're supposed to do it um, but you really free yourself to write freely to write without um, hesitation knowing that there is a separate process that's the editing process and that there's an editor usually on the other end of this process there's somebody who's going to help you make it better and that the editor generally is there to do that they're not there to tear you down they're not there to withhold your paycheck just because they are literally there to make it better so so writing and editing two different things and even though you do have to edit your own stuff eventually there is still somebody else out there who's going to help you make it better um and even if you have to hire an editor, which is sometimes very comforting because you are paying them, so they're not gonna be mean to you. (laughs) But I mean, like it was a book project for something or something like before you have to hand it in, you can give it to an editor who can help you. And sometimes I tell my students that as well, to free themselves up, like do your best job and then give it to somebody else to help you, you know, polish it. Um, And I think that also, you know, again, for me, understanding the role of the editor, understanding that the editing process is part two and it's there to make it all better is freeing.
0: So how do you work with an editor? If it's about the story, nobody can tell you it's the right way or the wrong way. But if it's about the reader experience, structure, delivery, clarity, then please listen. Maybe you should always listen, but particularly then. That will be among my favorite takeaways from my conversation with Laurie. Okay, so that is this episode of The Writing Process, a conversation with writing masters. Look for The Writing Process on iTunes and all of the many places podcasts appear and subscribe. You'll be able to find all our episodes as we post them on writingprocesspod.com. Thank you to my guest, Laurie Tharps, whom you can find on Twitter at Laurie Tharps and at myamericanmeltingpot.com. That's her multicultural blog about pop culture, parenting, and identity politics. Our theme music is from James Spirola, who couldn't tell you the difference between developmental editing and copy editing. I'm your host, Christopher Wink. Find me at Christopher Wink or transcribing phrases into my notes app. Until next time, remember, choose your words more carefully.